have two preachers tonight, and uh, Dr. List is the second preacher. The first, one of the things that I'm believing in my heart is God is going to raise up children and teens that can minister the word of the Lord. And so I've asked Hugo if he would come and he would preach tonight. Are you ready to do that? Okay. Hugo is eight years old. No, I'm nine. Nine. I'm so, my apologies. Good evening, church. It's good to be here in the presence of the Holy Spirit. I have a poem to recite for you guys this lovely evening. It's about Jesus and it's titled, Jesus Are All in All. Jesus is our all in all. He's our Alpha and Omega. He is the glory and the lifter of our heads. He is the beginning and the ending. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. Our Lord Jesus Christ is represented in every sphere of life. In linguistics and language studies, he is the word. In literature, he speaks in parables. In mathematics, he taught us that himself and God the Father are one and not two. In biology, the study of life, he gives us everlasting life. In chemistry, he turned water into wine. In physics, he ascended into the heavens to find the law of gravity. And he also walked upon the sea to find the law of Archimedes, principle of flotation. In electricity, he is the light of the world. In botany and gardening, he is the lily of the valley in the Rose of Sharon. In oceanography, he is the captain of the ship of our salvation. In animal husbandry, he is the precious lamb of God. In geology, the study of rocks, he is the everlasting rock of ages. In law, he is our advocate. In economics, he fed 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. In medicine, he healed the sick and raised the dead. And in the ministry, he brought us the good news and brought salvation to the whole world. Hallelujah. Father, we decree upon our children, our boys and girls, that you are raising up prophets, apostles, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the work of God to prosper in their generation and the generations they will serve as they grow. And you are a precious, precious, and you're just one of many precious, precious, wonderful children. And I'm just so thrilled. You did a great job. Thank you. Amen. I wouldn't want to follow that, but uh, maybe uh, Brother De <laughs> Brother List, you're on. Wow, what an act to follow. I remember my, my first sermon that I preached <coughs> as, a, as a young boy. 
in Africa, and it was in the chicken pen. And boy, did I got a lot of quacks and amens. And I preached the chickens under conviction. And uh, <clears throat> we had a few, a few of them come forward. <clears throat> My mother was watching it from a distance. And because uh, it was a closed enclosure, closing, and um, at the end of it, I took up an offering. <laughs> And I had some eggs, I took them to my mom in the kitchen, and I said, isn't it wonderful to see the chickens tithing? <laughs> and my mother started laughing. She said, wow. She said, you got all those clucks and, and amens, and then you collected the tithes. So, uh, son, you get, the, get two eggs instead of one. So she paid me that. That was my ministry fees. And uh, the good part about it, the chickens never argued with us. Yeah. <laughs> Even though we got our scriptures sometimes all mixed up as a kid, uh, they didn't know the difference. <laughs> but it was a, I never forget that. Uh, and then my brother, he decided to uh, cash in on my tithing bit. <laughs> and I told him it wasn't fair that uh, the tithe belonged to me because I was the one that started the ministry of the chickens. <laughs> but he was older than me and so he he had an advantage over me but uh, I bless this young man thank you so much for uh, sharing that with us it has truly been such a delight for Pastor Dan Hammer and myself to be in your presence and we have truly been blessed and you have such a, a wonderful uh, pastor and his wife they're so precious and I feel like I have known them all of my life. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> Praise the Lord. <clears throat> I just love his gray, uh, Bruce, Pastor Bruce's gray hair. Uh, my hair is starting to turn gray, and I'm only 70, I mean 78, and so uh, both of my brothers turned uh, in their 60s, and uh, my oldest brother confronted me one day before he passed away, and he said, what's the matter with you? Why aren't you turning gray? <clears throat> he said, you have to learn to worry in ministry. <laughs> I said, I didn't know about that. <laughs> but uh, no, it's, it's wonderful to see that in Africa, uh, gray hair means a sign of wisdom. And in many nations, that is so uh, real uh, of great respect. And so we, we thank God that God has knitted our hearts together and our fellowships in the Lord together because our heart now is part of us remains with you because of your kindness and love and devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, thank you so much for allowing us to come. We are truly blessed. Tonight, I just want to share a few things that... <clears throat> is so important to us in our walk with the Lord. And this time, I don't know about so much in Canada, but I know in across the border in the United States, our identity is being attacked. The enemy is attacking the identity in every way, male and female. And not only that, but it is the work of Satan that tries to discredit who you are and to bring you down to the place 
of destruction. We find this across the globe, being the powers of darkness. And we realize that we need to stand up and realize who we are because we're more than who we think we are. We are a child of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. In Jeremiah, it says, Before you were conceived in your mother's womb, I knew you. His eye was upon us. He saw our future. He saw our beginning. And so we are not just somebody that's insignificant. We are children of the Most High God. It's very interesting that in this time that we're living in, Satan will attack who you are. He's doing it all the time. So notice in the fourth chapter of Matthew, verse 3, Satan came to Jesus himself, the Son of God, in the temptation in the wilderness. And notice what he said to Jesus. Yet Satan, before he was cast out of heaven, dwelt with Jesus in heaven. And after Jesus' baptism, Satan was aware of the voice of the Father in heaven who said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. That word Son rung like a bell through eternity. He is the Son of the living God. But then... A few days later in the wilderness, Satan came to Jesus and he attacked his identity. He said, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. If it happened to Jesus, it'll happen to you. Satan will attack who you say you are. But Jesus stood the ground because Satan is a liar. So many times as believers, Satan will come to you and whisper and say, you really blew it. You're really not a child of God. And that's where he attacks you. That's where the demonic spirits attack you. So many times I hear ministers talking to, and they, and they will come to me and say, you know, I, I, I ministered on Sunday. But this afternoon, I was plagued with accusations. You should have said this, and you didn't say that. And so you missed the point. No, you were right on. But the enemy will attack what you said in your mind to bring discouragement. We are creatures that were created by God. I believe that we need to make a mind shift where our minds have ruled over, our, over the Spirit of God in us. And that switch is coming to this fellowship and to this province that we're going to switch from man's thinking into God's thinking. We are submitting our thinking under God's or thinking. And we walk according to the Spirit of God, not according to our understanding. And it's a practice of walking daily with the Lord. 
if we find here in the Philippines chapter 2, verse 5, it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So we have to reprogram ourselves to understand and, and give vent to the Holy Spirit in our daily life and our decisions day by day. So that we have the mind of Christ. I want you to know God knows who you are. And when he called you, he chose well. Satan also knows who you are. He recognizes God's authority upon you. I remember an occasion a number of many years ago, I was speaking at Christ for the Nations in, in Jamaica. And I had the day off. And so my wife and I decided to go to the Orcherias waterfalls. And I had my shorts on and T-shirt. And you can walk up those falls and it cools you off in the heat of the day. It's a tourist attraction. And as I was walking up the falls, I had a friend with me, Dave Marshall, that we've known for many years. And he and I were enjoying ourselves and our, the, our wives were doing the same. And so when I got to the top of the falls, I sat down on a bench under a tree, just minding my own business. All of a sudden, I happened to look and way down the path, hundreds of yards from me, I saw this Rastafarian witch doctor with the long, tangled, locks, unkept hair. And he was walking with a, with a cane. And he was making his way up the hill, through the car parking lot, up to where there were some shops or uh, trinket places. And I noticed I watched him as he came up there, and he made a beeline for where I was sitting. And he walked straight up to me, and he looked at me, and he said, you're a minister of Jesus Christ. We had never met. I looked at him, and I thought, I'll test him. I said, what makes you say that? I'm a tourist here. I'm just enjoying myself as a tourist, cooling off in the heat of the day. And he looked at me and he got angry. He said, tell me, did I not tell you the truth? I said, why are you so persistent? He said, I need to know. And so he had his cane in his hand, and he kind of wanted to prod me in my stomach. And Dave Marshall said, you better answer him or he'll bop you with that cane. He's getting angry. And I looked at him, and I said, yes, I am. He said, ah, I'm right. I said, how did you know that I was a minister of the gospel? He said, the spirits that I talked to talked to me. And way down there in the parking lot, hundreds of yards away, they told me who you were. The Spirit of the Lord came upon me. And the Lord said to me, you cannot be hid. 
You are mine. You're mine anointed. And your name is in the Lamb's book of life. And all hell knows who you are. The angels of darkness. I tell you, I stood up from that seat. And he looked at me. He said, I've got to move on. But God sealed in my spirit that we are more than who we think we are. We are children of the living God. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, we need to rise up in our full power and identity in Jesus because there's no hiding in this world as a child of God. You're exposed. And the powers of darkness know who you are. But notice what the Word of God says. His angels are encamped around about them that serve him. Hallelujah. So we walk not alone into the house of God or into your homes. The angels of the Lord are encamped around about you. And I want you to be aware of this because you're not alone. You came here not by yourself, but you came with God's heavenly angels encamped around about you. In my walk with the Lord, there's been hundreds of times that angels have been seen and manifested in the presence of people throughout the nations that I've traveled over 80 nations now. God has revealed them to people because God's true to his word. He assigns them to us. It is so important that we begin to discover who we really are and rise up in the might and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ and take dominion over the powers of darkness in the marketplace, in the place of, of education, in the, play, in the workforce, wherever you are, you are there. You're anointed. You're anointed for blessing and success. Praise the Lord. You're anointed of the Lord. You're more than who you think you are. You carry the mandate of heaven on your shoulders. So lift up your head. Don't be intimidated. Walk with boldness into this world and proclaim the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and pray the Lord's prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You're heaven's ambassadors. So don't be afraid in this world. Don't be intimidated in this world. Walk with power and authority, but with a humility, with power completely under control by the Holy Spirit. It is so important. And I'm just going to talk to you about some of the walk that God has allowed us to walk through through these years in different countries and different situations where the Holy Spirit has been our constant companion. I remember I was talking at lunchtime. I was in Kazakhstan in 1990. Pastor Bruce asked me to share this. And I arrived in Kazakhstan, and I met this young pastor, blonde hair, blue eyes, in his 20s. And he attached himself to me, and he said, he said, I want you to speak in my church on Sunday. 
And he said, will you please tomorrow meet with some of my uh, workers and, and teach them ministry? And so I did that day. And they were young people, just teenagers. And that Sunday morning, he drove me to the civic center of the capital of Kazakhstan. And we got out of the car, and I walked down a hallway, and I thought he'd have a group of people in a, in a little room. And uh, I asked him, I said, I said, how long have you been a Christian? He said, six months. And you're pastoring? He said, yes. And so I walked down the hall, and I kept walking and walking. And finally, we went up some stairs and onto a stage, and I heard a lot of commotion going on on the other side of the big curtains. And as he pulled the curtains apart, we walked through, and I'm on the center stage. And I'm looking out there, and there's about 3,000 people or more. I said, what is this? He said, this is my church. I said, you've been saved six months. I said, how did you get saved? He said, I saw a Jimmy Swaggart broadcast. And I gave my heart to the Lord. And he said, I just practiced what he preached. I preached his sermons. And he said, I made altar calls. And I said, what? 3,000. He said, I need a mentor. <laughs> I thought, well, you don't need a mentor. <laughs> You've got 3,000 people out there. And so I preached. And um, little did I realize that in the balcony was the television cameras of the Kazakh television station. I, I couldn't see it, but it was out there as a, you know, out of my sight. I didn't know that the total, total message was being broadcast from north to south, east to west. It was the only TV channel in the whole nation. And I gave the altar call, and hundreds came running down to the altar to accept Jesus Christ. And we prayed for, the, when, when I said, will you pray? We won't, he said, he wants you to pray for the sick. Well, the sick overwhelmed us. So the new converts that had just given their hearts to the Lord, there were so many people, we took oil and we anointed them with oil and we commissioned them to lay hands on the sick and see the sick recover and be healed. And here they stood uh, they had just given their hearts to the Lord, and we anointed them with oil, and they turned around. The sick came running down the aisles, and they stood in front of them, and they were laying hands on the sick, and the sick were being healed. A few moments of conversion. It was the name of Jesus that healed them. Oh, hallelujah. I tell you, I stood there flabbergasted. <laughs> the Lord told me, he said, just could take the new converts and just anoint them and commission them to do the work. And then the pastor came up to me and he said, he said, Brother Stephen, he said, he said, we there's some there's 14 witches and warlocks that are here. And they want what you've got. And they came forth down the far aisle and they stood. And I remember as I walked over with the pastor who spoke some English, spoke English, and I said to him, I said, what did they want? They said they felt a power in the building when they walked in and they, when they heard you speak, they want that power. I said, it's the Holy Spirit. But I said, you can't have it without committing your life to Jesus Christ first. 
I said, are you ready to repent and accept Jesus Christ? And they all nodded their head and they raised their hand and said, we will accept Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. I said, dear Lord. And they said, we want you to lay hands on us. And all I saw were those demons around them. And I stepped back on the stage, and I bowed my head, and I said, Dear God, I need your authority because I was by myself. I didn't have a prayer team with me. And I said, Lord, I feel tired. I feel vulnerable. But here's 14 witches and warlocks that need deliverance. And I said, God, help me. I need your authority. And the Lord spoke to me, and he said, Stephen, you are my authority. You don't have to ask for it. If Christ abides in you, you have the authority of the kingdom of heaven. Hallelujah. You don't go searching for it. You are the representative of the kingdom of God. Oh, hallelujah. I'll tell you, I had an infusion of the Spirit of God. I rose up inside of me, and I ran at them. And as I ran at them, my hands touched them. The demons came out. They spun like tops. And they were just screaming and yelling. And God was setting them free. And they fell to the ground. And I heard them sobbing. And the pastor said they're sobbing and saying, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I want you to know you're more than who you think you are. Hallelujah. <laughs> glory, glory, glory. You are children of the Most High God. You're sons and daughters of the living God. God is wanting to raise you up in the authority of his kingdom power. You don't take second place to the powers of darkness. You're more than a conqueror. Oh, praise the Lord. In Romans, we, in the, we also see where it says that as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God and daughters of God. It's amazing being led by the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit will lead you in places that will cause you to feel sometime ill at ease. But don't worry. God will lead you through it. Whatever trial you're going through, God will lead you through that trial. He won't leave you in the middle of it to consume you. You're walking through it. I remember shortly after being in Kazakhstan, I had an invitation in Kazakhstan from, it was smuggled to me from one of the underground churches in Chirunki in western China. And the message was, please come to speak into us. So I prayed about it. I had a brother that was in the Ukraine and I needed an interpreter. And Lanya, <laughs> bless his heart, he said, I, I can speak some Chinese. He said, can I go with you? So we boarded a bus. And I'm so glad that God doesn't reveal to us what we're going to walk into sometimes. <laughs> 
<laughs> because I re <laughs> he keeps it secret from us because we walk not by sight but by faith. I remember in seminary my first year back in 1959, I was on my knees fasting and praying and say, God, I want you to show me my, the, the, my, the plans for my life. Lord, I want you to show me what your purpose is for my life. I want you to reveal the, everything for me, Lord. I want to see it like a road map. And I remember God spoke to me and it disappointed me because he said, Stephen, he said, if I showed you all that I have for you, it would scare you to death. I said, oh, because there's a pathway that we walk that we don't know yet, but God will guide us through it. I remember buying my ticket and Lanya's ticket, and we got on the bus. <laughs> and we were going through the mountains into west and from western China. And the mountain region became cold. And I found a garbage sack, and I cut the top of it open and put it over my head because it, it was nighttime. And we were bumping along these dirt roads and making our way into Chirumki which was about 300 miles. And I remember dust everywhere. And I'm sitting in the back of the bus and I'm saying, dear God, this is the pits. I'm glad God doesn't hold you to your words sometimes. Because I said, this does not make sense to me. I'm going to a place I've never been before. And uh, I remember on that bus, and about 2 o'clock in the morning, all of a sudden, the buses were one behind another, trucks and everything, dust flying. And all of a sudden, our bus veered off the road, and it hit a ditch, and the back wheels came off it. And I said, dear God, help us. I crawled out of the bus, and my lawyer talked to the bus driver and said, how long would it take to fix us? He said, three and a half days. I said, dear God, no food, no water. Um, stuck out here in the desert region. <laughs> I said, God, this is not ministry. But I'm glad God doesn't reply to us all the time. He lets us walk in faith. And so I got the brilliant idea. My interpreter said, I said, I'm staying with the bus. I said, are you? I said, I'm not sitting here for three days and a half days on this bus in the desert region. And I said, with no water, no food. And I said, to, to wait till they fix it. Because they had to go and get the part. The whole wheels came off the back, all four wheels. And I got inspiration. I'm going to hitchhike. Have you ever hitchhiked in China? <laughs> Caucasian man. And so I go up to this little old dirt road, and I'm standing there, and I thought, no, they don't know what the thumb sign means. And I don't speak Chinese. And so God gave me inspiration. I took a $5 American bill out of my billfold, and I held it up like this and waved it and prayed at the same time. And after about an hour, a van came to a screeching halt, pulled over, and the driver grabbed it out of my hand, and he motioned me to get in. And when I tried to get in the van, I had to be pulled in because there were 20 people in the small van. 
I was sitting on the floor. Every bump I felt. And I'm saying, dear God, I'm going into hell. And I walked around that bus when that little van, when it stopped. <laughs> and I walked around and the, the threads were coming through the tire on the sides of the tire. And I said, dear God, not another accident. But God sustained us. In the early hours of the morning, we arrived in Chirunki. And there was a hotel where we found. And I go to the hotel, fall across the bed, and go to sleep. And then in the morning, I woke up, and Lanya woke up, and I said, Lanya, let's find this address of the underground church. I was refreshed. In the hotels in China, they keep your passport so you don't have any identification. And so the, the man in the lobby, he said, I'll get you to this address. What I found out, he was a set-up government spy. He called a taxi. We got in the taxi, and we wound up at the Chinese military base. Here were the guards and the big gates. And I looked at Lanya. I said, this is, I said, this is the military base. He said, uh-huh. I said, well, those buildings back there, maybe the underground fellowship is in those buildings. You know, ignorance is bliss sometimes. So I was, the guards at the gate motioned with their rifles for us to go into this side building, like the clearance building. It was an office building. So I'm walking ahead of Lanya, and we walk up. And as I walk in, these officers stand to their feet and salute me. So I salute them back. <laughs> I know Chinese, no language. So I said, hey, good morning. And I walk, I just keep walking down the hall, out the building, onto the grounds of the military base. And there were soldiers marching everywhere, tanks and, and howitzers and everything, and we're making our way through them. And Lanya, all of a sudden, he freaked out on me. He started turning white in color. And he said, Brother Stephen, we're on a Chinese military base. I said, yep. But what I did, God instructed me to get a half a watermelon and a, and a bag of oranges. So here I was walking with a watermelon and oranges on a Chinese military base looking for this address. And we go to these buildings in the back like a big cart, office buildings, and we're knocking on doors. <laughs> and officers come up to the door, answer the door, and they look at us, and I show them the address, and they go, nope. We go to the next one, nope. We went to the whole building. I don't know whether the, the watermelon and the oranges was the deterrent because we didn't look like, you know, it just threw them off guard, whatever God told us to do. So we got through with the building, and Lanya looked at me and said, Brother Stephen, how are we going to get off the base? They will arrest us and shoot us. And he started to, I mean, wet himself. I said, get a hold of yourself. He said, I can't help it. I'm not ready to die. I said, neither am I. He said, how are we going to get out of here? I said, the way we came in. 
So we walked right between the platoons, you know, doing their thing, you know, exercise and all of that. And here I'm walking with the watermelon and oranges, and they're looking at the watermelons and oranges, and we just keep going. I said, don't you entertain these guys. Keep walking, Lanya. And I mean, he was my shadow. And he said, how are we going to get out? I said, you see those army trucks ahead of us with soldiers on them? I said, when they, this was my thinking. I said, when they come to the gate and they were moving towards the gate, I said, we'll run alongside those army trucks and the guards won't see us because the trucks will camouflage us. Well, what we didn't count on, as we were doing this, the soldiers were yelling to the guards that we were down there beside the trucks. And so the guards came running around with their rifles with bayonets sticking at us and motioning us to go through that building we had just come through. So we went through the building, walking down the hall. And I mean, my wife, she said, if I knew this, she said, I would have had a heart attack, what you were doing. And we walked right past those desks. Those officers jumped to their feet and saluted. I saluted back. And we just kept walking out the building. We were on the street to the gates. All of a sudden, we heard yelling and screaming and shouting behind us. And I looked at Lanya. I said, don't look back. I said, run for your life. And I mean, we had about a block to run to the main road. All of a sudden, we heard firing in the air. The guards were shooting up in the air, trying to yell at us to come back. And I saw a taxi. God provided a taxi. I mean, he stopped skidding, and we jumped in the back seat. I mean, I didn't care what it would cost. I said, get us out of here. What was so amazing was I gave the address to this taxi driver. He said, oh, I know. He spoke some English. I know where this is. It's in the university. So he takes us to the university, and he shows us the building, the apartment building. And we walk down flights of steps, and here's this number of the apartment. And I'm knocking on the door. A little latch opens up, and they look, look, look through it, and then they shut it again. They open it three times and shut it again. Then all of a sudden, the door opens, and we walk in, and there's about 30 people in there. A small apartment, a living room, one bedroom, and a little kitchen. And they shanghaied us from each other, wrapping their arms around us and kissing us on the head and the cheeks. And I mean, you talk about loving up on us. And I thought, what is going on? And the, the, the leader of the underground church, he spoke some English, and he looked at me. He said, I want to ask you a question. What were you doing on a military base here in, in this Chirumki? I said, how did you know we just came from there? He said, we were in prayer, and the Lord showed us you walking with a, a watermelon and oranges on the Chinese military base, and we prayed God's angels to protect you and to close the eyes of the officers and the soldiers so you would not be harmed. I said, oh, my God, <laughs> that's where we were. 
God superimposed our situation to the prevailing children of God in intercession, and they cried out, and God sustained us. I want you to know <laughs> what a mighty God we serve. Boy, did we have some fellowship. They ate all the watermelon and oranges. And I mean, I was so glad I wasn't hungry. And I mean, I was just uh, praising the Lord. I said, how did you? He said, we saw you in the spirit. Friends, it's an awesome God that we serve. No weapon formed against you will prosper. Oh, hallelujah. What a mighty God. Hallelujah. It's been a walk in the faith in trusting God. Hallelujah. Everything from being uh, arrested by the KGB and the Soviet Union and threatened with, with jails, from attempted assassination in Colombia and Bogota, God watched over us. Oh, hallelujah. In that Kazakhstan meetings that happened, the pastor and I, we went home to his apartment. And it was late in the evening. There was a knock on that door. And there was a police officer there. And he asked it. He said, we want you to go with us back to the civic center. He said, there's 500 people refusing to leave the civic center. And they're outside, and we've got police and soldiers around them, circled them. And they said, we will not leave until the speaker list comes back. So we got in the police car. He drove us to the, to the civic center. And when we got there, here they were, 500 of them standing and the police all around them, and the soldiers around them. And I said to the pastor, Pastor, tell them why. Why won't they leave? They said, we will not leave until we are baptized with the Holy Ghost. I tell you, my body was weak and tired, and all I said was, I said, lift your hands towards heaven, and I lifted the 500, raised their hands. I lifted my hands. I said, receive the Holy Spirit. 500 fell to the ground, baptized in the Holy Ghost. Even the police and the soldiers were being slain by the power of God. They were like drunk men trying to, trying to get up. I want you to know, my God is a mighty God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I've seen his hand move mightily. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Oh, praise the Lord. To walk in the fullness of his grace and his mercy of watching over us. <laughs> There'll be times that I can't, I don't want to speak too long. But what I'm telling you these things is you're more than who you think you are. <laughs> you're going to accomplish great things for the kingdom of God if you just let God have his way. And sometimes it's good ignorance is bliss. <laughs> you hear what I'm talking? In Colombia, it was a number of years ago, in one year, they, the guerrillas of the mountain, communist guerrillas, killed over 240 pastors in Bogota area. They would wait till the pastor comes out from preaching and would and, and hear how they greet the people. They would walk up and 
put a bullet in his, in his head. That year that I was there, speaking at a convention in downtown Bogota, the civic center, that was the day that they tried to assassinate me as I walked out front of the convention after the speaking. There were assassins in two cars. They would pull up beside our car, windows down and guns out. But thank God, I had an evasive driver who was skilled in evasive driving. He screamed at me and he said, assassins. He pushed my head down by the dash and he put it in reverse and he spun the car backwards. And these other two cars came and collided in front of me and there were police there. They arrested them. They came to my hotel room and showed me the pictures and they showed me a poster of mine with my face on it, and they said, you were destined to be executed. But a miracle happened. It was in that very next day, at 7 o'clock in the morning, I knock on my hotel door, and I go to the door half asleep, and here's two men standing there, and they said, are you Stephen Reverend List? I said, yes. They said, quick, will you come to the radio station? Christian radio station. I said, why? They said, our pastor, Enrico Gomez, has been kidnapped by the guerrillas. He pastors a church of 80,000. I preached in it. Very blessed man. At 7 o'clock in the morning, and you're not wide awake, it's still kind of dark, I'm sitting in the back seat of, their car, of a car with two bodyguards on either side of me, and they're rushing me to the radio station because they said the gorillas said they will only negotiate through the radio station communications. I'd never met this pastor. I'd never been schooled in negotiations. I said, what do you want me to do? They said, well, we want you to address the pastor for 20 minutes, encourage him, pray for him, and, and, and pray the covering of God over him. And then we'll have a hymn. See, the church had 13 radio stations throughout Colombia and television stations as well. It was a powerful ministry in Colombia. And they said, and then we want to give you 20 minutes to negotiate with the guerrillas. I mean... I've had no schooling in it, <laughs> but I know the one who knows what to say. And I'm praying in the Holy Spirit. I mean, I put it in low gear, and I switched into another dimension from the flesh into the realm of the Spirit. And as I was climbing the stairs up to the radio station, I began to pray in the Holy Spirit. And I said, Lord, what do I say? What do I say? And the Holy Spirit said, you address the pastor with the 23rd Psalm. They took me into the studio and put every, the mics in front of me and the headphones on. And they were counting down, one, two, three, go. And the Lord just filled my mouth with a 23rd psalm. <laughs> Where the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. 
He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. And the Holy Spirit revealed to me. I said, Pastor, you have been so busy in your ministry. You haven't had time alone with God to refresh yourself. But you've always been ministering out to others. And God has taken you and lay, making you lay down in the green forest of the mountains so that you and him could have an intimate time together. You will walk to the valley of the shadow of death, but fear no evil, for the Lord God is with you. He will preserve you. I mean, God just gave me a message on the spot, a revelation of what the need was in him emotionally. And as after 20 minutes was over, the power of God was so powerful in that studio, people, the men were laying on the floor, shaking in the anointing of the power of the Holy Ghost. And then they said, now, Brother Steve, they said, that was anointed of God. They said, now talk to the guerrillas. What do you say to the communist guerrillas that are atheists and they're holding this man hostage for two and a half million dollars? What do you say to them? The Holy Spirit, when you don't know what to say, will drop it into you. And I said, men, you are listening now. You have a cause that you're fighting for because you feel there's injustice. But I, the, and briefly, bringing it together was what God was revealing was, I said, you want to change the minds of the nation of Colombia to your ideology and your way of thinking. But it won't work. The only way to change from drugs and crime and mafia, all of that is through the heart change. And when you change the heart, you change the mind. Because if you don't change the heart, you, change the, you won't change the mind. Because the mind can be changed by somebody else more eloquent than you. And their reasoning. I mean, this was the Holy Spirit saying. And I said, the only way to change the heart is through Jesus Christ. He can change the heart into righteousness and purity and, and, and fight all of this upheaval going on in the nation. And I mean, before long, I was crying at the microphone, praying for them into salvation. They were listening, and the gorillas were hearing this on the mountainside. I finished my assignment in Colombia. Two years later, I'm sitting at a pastor's breakfast. And here's this man, tall, strong, standing there, very humble in his approach. And there was about 100 pastors, tears running down his face. He said, I want to apologize to you. He said, I was kidnapped by the guerrillas, that by God's providence, I was released after two years. And he gave the testimony of an American that was on the radio station and told him it was God's purpose of him being kidnapped. He said, I hated that man with a passion. He said, when he said that God was the instrument of this, he said, I'll tell you one thing. He said, I wanted to kill him. He said, but I found out it was the truth. Enrico Gomez said this, 
He didn't know I was sitting just two people away from him because he was describing me and what I said down through the 23rd Psalm. And he said, he told me that God permitted this to happen because I was so busy in ministry and praying and reading and preparing to deliver a message that I had little time on one-on-one -on -one with the Lord. And I felt I was too, and he said, I, pride got into my heart because the ministry was exploding and we had a larger church in Columbia than anybody else. And he said, pride crept in. And he said, I want to apologize to you pastors. He said, because you that had 40 and 50 people, I had no time for you in your church. Pride had settled in. And he said, in the mountains, God took care of me. Every day, they took me down to the river, and they put a gun to my head and pulled the trigger, and it wouldn't fire. They'd point it up into the sky, and it would go off. Every day, his bodyguard says, I'm your executor. And he said, several occasions, they wanted to film a woman they stripped naked and stripped him naked down by the river for her to try to seduce him, and they would take pictures, and they wanted to send it to the television station. This is what your pastor's doing up here by in the mountains. But he said as they would bring that woman to him, a snake would come out of the rocks and stand up and rear at her and start hissing, and she would run and say, I'm not touching that man of God. That's just one of many things that happened to him. And he said, if I could ever meet that pastor, that minister that spoke those words to him, I'd give him a big hug and a big kiss on the cheek. And, and, I'm, and, and, and Brother Alf, J.V. Alfonso, he looked at him and he said, Pastor, he said, he's sitting right over here. He made a beeline for me. I mean, I thought I would be crushed. And I mean, he hugged me and hugged me and hugged me. He said, thank you for the word of God that changed my life. He said, you're not leaving my side. And for two days, I mean, he stuck to me like glue. Everywhere I went, he was there. Every meal I ate, he was there. And he said, he said, Brother Stephen, you're preaching in my church Sunday. I didn't know how big it was. I said, how many services? He said, four services. I said, dear Lord. I walked into the building. There were 20,000 in each service. It was on that Sunday he motioned to this man to come and meet him, and that was the gorilla that got saved and filled with the Holy Spirit and now is the bodyguard of that pastor. I mean, you talk about God transforming. And he took us out that one day, and he said, I want you to walk the grounds of our new sanctuary, seating 100,000 that they're building. And he said, well, you pray over it and commit it unto the Lord. I want you to know. And the whole time I walked those grounds, here was the bodyguard of that pastor. He was walking, and I knew he was speaking in tongues because it wasn't Spanish. And he was praying. <laughs> and I mean, he, he, he would speak, and I'd have an interpreter. He'd say, once I was a killer, but now I'm a saving. I save people.
You talk about the power of God, the glory of God. My wife calls it walking in the Magoo anointing. I don't know if you know who Magoo is. He's a cartoon character. He doesn't know where he's going. He's got thick glasses, but he stumbles his way through life and through a journey, and he makes it okay on the other side. My wife, she said, you don't know where you're going, but God's leading you in the midst of chaos and bringing forth his glory. All I know is being led by the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Oh, glory. That's just a little tidbit of what God has led us through these years, seeing the glory of God manifest. I want you to know God wants to shake us in Nova Scotia, that we rise up in the true identity of who we are in Jesus Christ and not wimp and wane and, and complain, but move forward in the glory of God. Oh, hallelujah. You carry a presence. You're more than who you think you are. Hallelujah. He, Jesus is not just locked up in your heart. He's all over you. Your hands are his hands. Your feet are his feet. Your lungs are his lungs. Your voice is his voice. And as you move in glory and realize who you are and the potential that God has for you, you'll begin to shout every morning, every day, God is a good God. Oh, hallelujah. I love what my wife said. She said, you can never give kindness away. It'll always come back to you. Try it. You sow, you reap. I want you to know, church, Nova Scotia is kicking off its dust of complacency, kicking off those boots that have been heavy on you. And God is re-equipping you with new shoes, new sandals that will send you across this province with miracles, signs, and wonders. I'm praying, and I believe it's coming. I hear the sound of the revival coming to this province with a mighty wind of God. It's not going to be a gradual move. It's going to be a spontaneous combustion of the Spirit of God, and it's going to happen across the regions. Watch out, friends, in your home. Oh, hallelujah. <laughs> You're going to see things begin to happen. God begin to bring your children back home again. Yeah. Saved by the Spirit of God. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, I don't know, but I, I, I'm so excited. I know I have to go home, but I'm going to keep my ear to the ground to hear the rumbling of the revival of God's Spirit. It's not just a returning. It's a progressive moving higher in God. There are books written about the move of God in Nova Scotia, but what God's bringing to Nova Scotia is not a repeat of that. It's even going beyond that. Hallelujah. Glory to God. He's taking you to a higher level where you'll not slip back to it. You'll be moving higher and higher in the dimensions of God. God's not through with you yet. Stand with me with you. Oh, glory. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. I understand now why God spoke to me in seminary. When I asked God, I said, God, show me my future. Show me all that you have for me. And when he said to me, Stephen, if I did, it would scare you to death. I would probably have never got out of that bed. 
But I want you to know things. So many times God keeps those things from us and we walk by faith, not by sight. And we walk into the abundance. As the musicians come, we're going to come forward and rededicate ourselves as a people, as a nation, and as a province and a city to the kingdom and the power of God. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm testifying of his grace and his mercy. I'm not telling you things I haven't walked through. These are things that I have seen and heard and felt with my own eyes. I want you to know we serve a mighty God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, if I had time, there's so much. When God brought me back from death, I was clinically dead for half an hour in Zambia at the age of 13. In the medical clinic, I died of amoebic dysentery and black malaria. It's a killer. The nurse that we had from New Zealand, two of them went with us to Africa. One died six weeks before it happened to me. But it was there that God, after being dead for 30 minutes, God raised me from the dead, and I knew my calling. As my spirit left this body, and ascended into the outest regions of this earth. And I looked back like I was out in space. I saw every nation, every tribe, every tongue. I understood every language. I saw the cry of the nations around the world. I saw the sick and the suffering. My mother was also a nurse, and so she knew she had this stethoscope on my heart, and there was no, no heartbeat. I knew I would, I would die that day. And I said, Mother, what is all that? As I came back from con unconsciousness, I said, I hear singing in the in this heavens above. Who's singing outside our hut? She said, Son, it's not no one singing. She said, You're hearing the angels singing. I remember this. It was in that moment as I, as God took me up. My spirit had hands and feet. I could see right around things and through things. The eyes of heaven, nothing is concealed from it. And as I was taken through all these nations, I saw the people crying out, will somebody help us? My dearest friend, Frank Chichalwe, who was baptized in the Holy Spirit, the same age as me, a chief son that sat for three days in the bush and had traveled for four days from his village. He said, and he sat there, and he, my mother would feed him. And she said, why are you here? He said, a voice spoke to me that I am to come and find these missionaries. 
and around the fire we led him to the Lord Jesus Christ and he got baptized in the Holy Spirit he was my buddy Frank Chichowe went running after my dad in another village and he brought my dad back and mother said when dad came in he began to groan and moan and beat the side of the walls of the hut and said oh no God I left everything to come to Africa and now you're taking my sons what more do you want and my mother said as I lay there no heartbeat Frank began to pray in the Holy Spirit and he pulled out the mosquito net and he plunged his body and threw it over my body. I was in an army cut and he threw his body on mine and said, no, God, bring him back. It was instantaneous. God brought me back. Because Frank said, God, you're not through with him yet. That's why I said, I'm a captive to the call of God. There's no other way for me but to do the will of the Father. His purpose and plan will pull you to it. I don't care how you kick and how you struggle. God's plan and purpose will pull you to it. Oh, hallelujah. When life came back into my body, I was completely healed. My body was so thin, you could see my ribs. I hadn't eaten for days and days and days. I instantly was hungry. And my dad began to rejoice and mother began to weep. They said, son, tell us what happened. And I began to share with them. I saw through the roof of that thatched hut, I saw my mother on her knees crying out to God as my spirit rose. I saw all these nations. And I remember I saw in one particular place was an African lady with a red dress and a dead baby in her arms running. And she was screaming, help. My baby has died. A number of years later, I was in Zimbabwe putting a roof on a church and I would sing in a tent with my brother and we'd work in the day and preach at night. And we were around this fire and hundreds of people, Africans were there. And as I got ready to speak, all of a sudden, I heard the wail and there came this black African lady running with a red dress on and a baby like this in her arms and she was screaming in the language that I understood and she said my baby died this morning and she said you're my only hope and as we picked the baby up its limbs went like this I had a flashback I took that child in my arms and I said, oh, Jesus of Nazareth, bring life into this little girl. And the power of God fell on that child and the child began to cough and began to live 
and still living and is married now. I want you to know. I turned to my brother. I said, I've been here before, but not in the flesh. But I was here in the spirit. And this is the lady that God showed me many years ago at the age of 13 that God would revive that child. I want you to know we serve an awesome God. And my heart is for Nova Scotia. God has shown me flames of fire falling on homes, on churches, on buildings. Like a mighty forest fire God is bringing to Nova Scotia and it will come upon this province and it will sweep across North America. Get ready for heaven opening wide. Hallelujah. Are you ready for it? Let's begin to praise the Lord, will you? Give God praise. Give God glory. Give God honor. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, glory.